Hey, welcome to another episode of Apologetics in 15, a uh, resource put together by the Table Campus Ministry here at OSU, uh, designed to try to answer questions about God, Christianity, and the Bible in 15-ish minutes. Uh, uh, I'm your host, Drew Moss, and I want to jump right into it today. Uh, We're going to talk about what I believe to be the greatest and most foundational reason for believing Christianity above every other religion or every other worldview. Uh, One of the more common uh, beliefs today when it comes to religion is is that all religions are equally, uh, well, I guess it depends on which, which perspective you take. Some would say all religions are equally valid in that all religions, even though they have some differences in practice, they're, they're essentially the same. And, and all of them are leading us to the same God. It's just important that you find whatever works best for you. And then there are some on the other side of the spectrum would say all religions are equally ridiculous and, and they're all foolishness and, and we need to do away with all of them. But the, the basic truth that's being taught here is that uh, essentially they're the same thing. Essentially, they're, they're teaching you how to get to God, and they're all teaching you in slightly different angles, but basically to do the same thing. Now, now we could do a whole episode on how, uh, how many differences there really are and the key differences specifically between Christianity and, and all these other religions. But today, I just want to dial in on one. Um, one key difference that sets Christianity apart from everything else, and, and that is this, that almost every other religion, actually, I think I could say every other religion in the world starts in the same way. And that is with its leader going off and having a private vision or experience Uh, And then coming back and telling other people about that, trying to convince them of that experience, and then the religion begins. So Muhammad goes off into a cave in the side of a mountain, and he has this private encounter with the angel Gabriel, and comes back to convince people that that happened, so that this religion will now start, so that validates what he says. Or the Buddha, before he is the Buddha, goes and sits under a tree by himself and, and achieves enlightenment through a vision that he has there, and then comes back to convince people of that. Or Joseph Smith goes out into the woods and claims to have encountered uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ in the woods and then comes back and and seeks to tell people that this happened so that they can believe his words. Uh, All religions either start with that or if they don't start with that, then there are religions that that they aren't built in any sort of historical event, any sort of happening that a person can fact check. They're just ideas. Uh, Whereas Christianity, on the other hand, begins with the public ministry execution, and resurrection of its leader. Uh, And this is why Michael Patton calls Christianity the world's most falsifiable religion. Uh, That is, that is a religion that can be tested to, to either be proven or disproven. Here's a quote from him. He says, The central claims of the Bible demand historic inquiry. And as they are based on public events that can be historically verified. In contrast, the central claims of all other religions cannot be historically tested and therefore are beyond falsifiability or inquiry. They just have to be believed with blind faith. In other words, what Patton is saying is every other religion says, just trust me. Hey, our our follower or our leader really did go off and have this experience. You just got to trust me on that. Believe me on that. Christianity is the only one that says, see for yourself. Uh, examine this. This is this is what happened in public. Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection. You test that out and see if it's true. It's not that there's no faith in Christianity. No, there's there's plenty of faith in in our belief system, um, and yet it is. But it is a faith 
that is based on evidence, that is based on facts, and we ask people to examine that evidence. Now, here's where someone would pipe in, uh, an unbeliever might pipe in and say, yeah, but that's the problem, Drew. I don't trust the evidence. Specifically, the, the evidence you're referring to is the scriptures. I don't, I don't trust what the Bible says about Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection. But, but what I want to propose to you today is that I don't think a person has to believe the Bible in order to see that Christianity's claims here are valid. Um, now, I'll just clarify. There are some people who are taking what, what I just said and they're running um, into kind of crazy town with that. There's some people who think the Bible doesn't matter so much as long as you believe in the resurrection. Andy Stanley is kind of teaching some of this stuff right now. I'm not telling you that the Bible's not important. I think the Bible is hugely important. What I'm, what I'm saying is that before a person even has faith in the scripture, I believe they can look at the historical evidence and see, see that it is pointing towards Jesus as real, as valid, as true. So that's what I want to talk about for just a a few minutes. Here are three things that we can know about Jesus without believing the Bible. The first is this, that he existed. And this is attested by the Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote in around uh, A.D. 93, 94. He records that there was a teacher living in Palestine just before him uh, whose name was Jesus, and that this Jesus raised a following up of both Jews and Gentiles, but then that this Jesus was crucified by Pilate um, under pressure from the Jewish leaders. So, so Josephus, who's not a Christian, says all of these things that, that validate what the New Testament says. And, and so for this, for this reason, there, there are very few people who actually claim that Jesus didn't exist. Uh, there's, there's some in the past who've tried to say that, that he's just a myth like Robin Hood or King Arthur. But, but there's enough uh, historical testimony pointed to that, that very few people believe that. Uh, the second thing we see, and we've already touched on this, is that he was crucified under Pilate. And that after a short time, his following grew rapidly. So the Roman historian Tacitus tells us about this. Um, writing in AD 116, and by the way, you can look up Josephus's uh, quotes and Tacitus's quotes um, online. You can look these up just Googling those things up. But um, in AD 116, he writes about the time that Nero was persecuting Christians back in the 60s. And, and to, to kind of give a little bit of background on Christians, he begins to explain these Christians, he says, get their name from a man we call Christus, that is the Christ, who suffered, he says, the extreme penalty, that, that means crucifixion, who suffered crucifixion under Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. And, and then Tacitus says that when that happened, this movement, which he calls a most mischievous superstition, so he, he's not a fan of Christianity. But he says that this movement died down at that point. And then, kind of out of nowhere, it just exploded again. Not only in Judea, he says, where it started, but then it began to go all over the empire. So much so that there was a significant population of Christians in Rome uh, in that same generation, by, by the 60s. So within one generation. Now, this is fascinating. Tacitus says Jesus died, was crucified. He says the movement died, and then it took off again. What Tacitus can't explain is why this movement took off. Uh, and that's very, it's a very significant question. Why? Because Jesus was not the first Messiah to come out of Palestine during this time. 
Um, in this um, period of time, what we might call Second Temple Judaism, the Jewish people were longing for and looking for a Messiah to come and set them free from the Romans, from their Gentile oppressors. And so they were waiting expectantly. And, and from time to time, someone would come and do that. Um, they, would, uh, they would come and claim that they are the Messiah sent from God. They would gather up this following, usually kind of an army, and they would say, we're going we're gonna to take uh, Israel back for Israel. And, and then the Romans would come in and they would crush the movement and they would kill the Messiah and the movement would die. And, and then another Messiah would come up and, and he would raise up a following and then the Romans would come in and they would crush the movement, they would kill the Messiah and the movement dies. And this pattern would happen several times because when the Messiah is killed, that proves that he is not the Messiah. By definition, the Messiah is a winner. By definition, the Messiah is victorious. So when he loses, that's just proof that he wasn't the Messiah. And yet Jesus is the first Messiah who, who, who gets this following going, who goes and, and claims to be a Messiah, and then he's killed by the Romans, and instead of his movement dying, it takes off. And, and, and so the question has to be asked and answered, why? Why is it that his grows after his death when every other Messiah, um, their movement dies off? And that leads us to the third thing we can know without even believing in the Bible. We can know that his followers claimed that he had risen from the grave. And that's why this movement took off. So in a letter written just 20 years after Jesus, that is 1 Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, claims that Jesus rose from the grave and that there were over 500 witnesses to this resurrection, most of whom he says are still alive. Now, again, here's where somebody says, no, 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 Drew, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe Paul in 1 Corinthians. And, and I'm not telling you you have to. All I'm telling you is, is that scholars, biblical scholars, whether Christian or not, all agree that Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of 1 Corinthians in 54 AD, AD 54-ish, that he wrote those. So whether you agree or not, what I'm trying to say is that um, within the same generation, Christians were claiming this. And that's important because a lot of people say, well, the resurrection was this idea that was developed over hundreds of years, that slowly over time, the stories about Jesus just grew and grew until, you know, a couple hundred years later, people started saying that he rose from the grave and there was no one around to disprove that. But what 1 Corinthians shows us is that the Christians, whether you agree with them or not, were claiming this within the same generation. So we know that Jesus existed, and we know that he was executed, and that for some reason, his following only grew afterwards. We also know that the, the, the Christians claimed it was because he was alive. And, and then there's these other things that start to happen. They start to change some of the major um, issues of their faith. They change their holy day, their day of worship from Saturday, the Sabbath, to Sunday, which doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but was huge for them. This issue of Gentile inclusion, where they start allowing Gentiles to be a part of um, their belief system to say that they're on the same level as Jews in their relationship to God. And then bigger than all of that is they begin to worship this man, Jesus. Now, here in America, that might not sound crazy. Um, we live in a place where people are encouraged to have a freedom of belief and, and expression and the things that they want to follow. And so it's not hard for someone here to, to come together and say that they are, um, that they're the son of God or that they're God themselves. And they'll at least get like 20 to 30 people to start following that. You can find 20 to 30, um, crazy people in America who will start to follow you, but, but try doing that in like Saudi Arabia today. 
in a place where A, the government is completely against it, and B, the people are entrenched in deep beliefs that they have held for years. That's, that's not going to fly there. A movement like that wouldn't take off there out of nowhere. Um, and, and, and Saudi Arabia today is closer um, in, in kind of culture to what first century Judaism would have been like at that time, Second Temple Judaism. And so it would take something amazing for people to take a human being, Jews in the first century, to take a human being and begin to worship that human being as God. And, and again, the, the thing that they claimed was the only reason we're doing this is because he rose from the grave. We saw him. And so for those things, because we know Jesus existed, because um, he was crucified and yet his movement continued and they were claiming that he rose from the grave, um, like virtually all um, New Testament scholars or people who have studied the church, everybody agrees something had to happen. It, it, a movement like that does not spring out of first century Judaism, just out of nowhere. Something must have taken place, and, and most would even go so far as to say there was an empty tomb. And, and for that reason, a number of other theories have been proposed over the years because there's people who go, man, I cannot buy the resurrection. There's no way that a guy could raise from the grave. And yet they also recognize, but something had to happen. Because Christianity couldn't have started in the climate that it was in unless something crazy happened. And so a number of other theories have been proposed to kind of explain this. And I'm just going to move through these real quickly. We don't have a whole lot of time, but, but I'll give you some resources you can study on this later. And, and the first is what we call the swoon theory. That is that Jesus never actually died, but that he merely was kind of passed out or went into a comatose state on the cross. And then a few days later, he, he came out of this coma and came out of the grave. And people thought that he had resurrected, but really he was just kind of coming out of a, a coma. Um, and this was first proposed towards the end of the 18th century, but it is not strongly argued today, um, mostly because um, it is a near medical impossibility to survive after three days in a tomb wrapped up in all the spices. Actually, that is an impossibility wrapped up in the hundreds of pounds of spices and put away in a tomb. It's also because the, the Romans knew how to kill people and they knew the difference between dead and asleep. And, and so we trust that that as professional executioners, that they knew how to kill a person. But but also we we just don't believe that a person could come limping out of a tomb, um, gasping and, and wheezing and kind of crawl himself into Jerusalem and that the disciples would confuse that for a glorious resurrected Messiah. And so uh, the swoon theory is really not believed very much today. Uh, another big theory is that um, that the disciples discovered the wrong tomb, that in the emotion and the darkness and the confusion of the moment, the followers went to the wrong tomb and, and, and they saw an empty tomb and they thought that Jesus had resurrected, but really he hadn't. Uh, the biggest issue with this is that we know that the first century uh, Jewish leaders were against Christianity from the beginning, that they were trying to stop it. And had the disciples gone to the wrong tomb, that the, the leaders could have put an end to this movement simply by going to the right tomb and producing the body. And yet a body was never produced. Um, and, and so that becomes kind of a big issue when we try to think through that. Another one is the stolen body theory, that the disciples stole the body and tried to play it off as a resurrection. Uh, but, but this confuses a couple things. One is, is it takes into a, a, it kind of assumes that the disciples were reading from a script, that they all went, well, now we know 
that the Jewish Messiah is supposed to resurrect. So we'll steal his body and pretend that he rose from the grave. But actually, the reality is no Jews at this time believed that the Messiah was going to physically resurrect. That wasn't part of their belief system. So there was no kind of script for them to follow. And of course, this doesn't explain why the disciples and so many others would die for their faith, would suffer for their faith. They had very little to gain from this elaborate prank if all they did was steal the body to try and and gain some trust from people. And then one more I'll touch on is this, this idea of a hallucination theory that uh, the disciples thought they saw Jesus. In their grief, they hallucinated and and they just um, believed that they were encountering him, but the reality is they weren't. Um, The problem with this is that hallucinations are not something that everyone can experience. They generally only occur in a certain kind of person, wildly imaginative and and of a nervous makeup. And, And the other thing is that no two people can have the same hallucination at the same time. Um, that, that you can't have multiple people in a room seeing the same thing because, of course, that hallucination is only taking place in the person's brain. And the, and, and the Christians were claiming that many of us saw him at the same time. Uh, again, the Jewish or Roman leaders could have just produced a body if all they were doing was hallucinating, and that would have ended the movement right there. Um, I came across this quote just a couple weeks ago, actually. It's, it's from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Through the Lips of Sherlock Holmes. It says, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. And, and there are so many things, I believe, that point to the resurrection. And, and we've just kind of scratched the surface here. And, and there are so, um, so many other theories that people have tried to come up with that just um, have no, um, no reality to them, no, no basis in truth. And as we begin to eliminate those, I, I know for people it is hard to believe that a man could raise from the dead. But, but once we've removed the impossible, all these other, whatever remains, how improbable must be the truth. Um, it's worth saying this as well, and then I'll wrap up, that this is the thing that Christianity hinges on. And so when a person comes to me and goes, man, I'm, I'm thinking about Christianity, but I just can't get around what it might say about gay marriage, or I can't get around some of the stories in the Old Testament that seem crazy to me, parting the Red Sea or Noah's Ark, I, I always like to say to them, hey, the good news is you don't even have to worry about any of that right now. Um, the one thing that matters first is the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and the good news or bad news for you is this, if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, you don't even have to worry about what Christianity says about these other things. Because all of that falls apart. But if it's true, if the resurrection happened, then we need to start thinking through whether or not we need to submit to these other things. And, and we need to start thinking hard if Jesus really rose from the grave, that he is who he said he is. And the rest of Christianity falls together around that. Um, thanks for taking the time to listen. I'm going to put some links to, to a couple uh, resources that you can check out, including that Michael Patton article in the notes section to this podcast, and hopefully you can check it out from there. Uh, I want to thank Steve Broadway for making things sound good this week, and we'll see you next time.